Hey guys, it's Dan here. So for whatever reason, with this episode with Vinny, our audio did not work out. And uh, Nick and I have a checklist. We go through, we make sure we do a test recording, we test our equipment, we make sure everything sounds good. And during the entire interview, everything sounded fine. But for whatever reason, when I went through and downloaded the raw audio tracks, uh, our side of the audio just did not sound that great. It sounds like it recorded from a backup device. We've still got a ticket open with Riverside. We're not sure why. But uh, we assure you, this episode with Vinny is a really good one. He's a really interesting guest who's done some amazing stuff in the industry, and it's definitely worth a listen. Uh, also worth noting, he does most of the talking in this episode because he's the one who's got all the great stories. So bear with us. Uh, we'll make sure this doesn't happen again, but uh, we're sorry for the, uh, the lack of audio quality on our side, and we hope you will listen through. It's still a great interview. He's still got some great stories that you'll want to hear, so hang in there. So hang by us, and uh, we'll be back to normal soon. Welcome to the Avance Podcast. I'm Dan. And I'm Nick. How's it going, buddy? Well, uh, we're still sitting in my living room, so would you please finish it? I did so much Sunday. Uh, yeah, the studio. So I <coughs> sprayed it, and I sprayed too heavy on the on the paint. And so I had to go through. I basically re-sanded, re-textured, and now I repainted the office and just wait for it to dry. I ordered shorter legs for that desk. Got a brand new like live-edge slab table, and the legs I ordered, I did not my own stupid fault and not account for the thickness of the slab. And so it's like four inches too high. I was like, ugh. and so there's little crap like that. Got the rock wool for making the sound editing panels. It's like right there. It's ready to go. Nice. Um, but I got network cable around the shot. I don't know the last time I had to punch down my own network cables, but like doing all that myself, I was like, man, this brings back bad memories from IT like 15, 20 years ago. Back in the day. Yeah. Making nice. own cables. Yeah, it was good. It was good. It's good to work in the shop. It's good to see things come together. I mean, it's a lot of the, the little pre-planning stuff. It's all the stuff you put in before you get into the framing and everything like that. But if you don't do it right before you do all that, it's so much harder later. Well, it's almost like you were starting with the dirt floor barn. Right. Yeah. So it's come a long yeah. way. Yeah. So um, that's good. Fixed like 10 leaks in the roof. Probably made three more. So that was cool. Uh so, does, does Shauna always all, all of a sudden want the roof to be nice just because she's got a new R8 in there? Yeah, it's dripping on her R8, so yeah, she's like, yeah. come on, fix the roof. Uh, she's been really <laughs> no. patient with me, but it is like there is one spot that drips directly on yeah, the R8, and yeah. she's just like, come on. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. She suddenly gives up. She cares a lot about the story <laughs> of the car. I get it. Well, I, we got the gym done, so I mean, it's just yeah. all... I was I was just exhausted Sunday night. Sure. Crashed. You, you were tired when I saw you Sunday. Yeah, stop by to put the slab up there. So yeah, I appreciate that. You got it done. So So, yeah, a few more. Who knows? I don't know. It'll be done when it's done. You're welcome. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) That's like all the little instruction. Uh, Let's see here. So Carter Rider Motor Group tip of the week. You got a good one this week. Well, so this one. I mean, I can. I wish I could find the actual video that that made this come into my head. But um, if if you own a car, an automatic. I'm gonna I'm gonna say an automatic car. Or BSG. 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 Sorry. I don't want to say BFG. <laughs> big friendly giant car. Yeah, there you go. There you go. A big friendly giant car. Yeah. One thing that you should you should research in case and, and you won't have time when, when this happens is if something was to happen to the car and you needed to put it in neutral. Uh, say you're stuck in traffic and things like that. A lot of times, and every car is kind of different. Sometimes some cars will just go into neutral. Some cars have the screwdriver mm-hmm. uh, thing. What brought this to my um, my my wheelhouse is I was watching a video of a gentleman. I believe he was in Europe, but it was a Huracan that got stuck in the middle of the road and they needed to put it in neutral. And I did not know this. I've seen the tool, but I did not know this in the fact that you have to pop that center console. There's a Lamborghini tool that you slide in there and then it lifts it, it lifts the cable and puts it neutral. So um, it's, it's a simple thing. Go into your owner's manual. If you don't want to do that, talk to the person that sold you the car. It's just something because the minute it happens and you're freaking out in the middle of the street, that's, you know, people are honking at you. You're gonna get, having the time to do that right then is going to be tough. So just think ahead. Yeah, we're not talking. We're talking about when you lose power. Yes. Yeah, you can hit the neutral button in cars, like with, uh, or put it in neutral in the transmission. But if you lose power in a car that has a push button uh, yeah. shift selection, then you need. It's not always straightforward. It's most of the time, if you the old school way, you pop up a little like cover in the center console. There's like a button you push in there. Shift release mechanism, and it'll allow you to. My 2000 Subaru, you had to shove a screwdriver down. In right, yeah. yeah, and so, but some of these newer cars, you got to, yeah, it's a good thing to know, especially if um, <laughs> you trust me. If you ever try to get into the battery on one of those, I think the Huracan is the same as the R8, where the battery is in the front. You pop yeah. it, and then you got to pull the carpet out. It's not like the carpet; there's like a little access panel. 
But even once the access panel is open, it's not easy to get to. Well, let alone if, if it was to happen somewhere where people are screaming and honking. Right, yeah. yeah. So just a good thing to know. That is a really good thing, that, especially now, because people probably don't even think about it. You no. Know, remember when people get locked in their Corvettes all the time? I, yes, well, those people <laughs> deserve to be locked. If, if you lock yourself in a... No, I'm <laughs> I actually didn't. I do figure out... I mean, it's very simple, but I hadn't, I hadn't researched it in the wilderness, so... No. I know. Well, so yeah. Well, now we know. Yeah. All right. Well, special guest this week uh, probably has had to move his fair share of cars around. Uh, judging from your Instagram, you've more, more more cars than any of us combined. Um, Vinny Russo, welcome to the show. You are uh, well, hey guys. How you doing? Good man. I was going to say you. Have, we were going through your LinkedIn. And Is there just, any car company you have to work for? <laughs> yeah, any cool car company? Come on, you've done. You've got your hands some seriously cool shit right now. Operations manager, Westside Collector Car Storage. Uh, down at our friends in California, but I mean, we were going through. We've got Spiker, Hennessy, Lamborghini, mean, Lamborghini, Dupont. Mm-hmm. I mean, all sorts of cool Maserati. stuff. Yeah, Maserati. Like you've you've been playing for a long yeah. time. Yeah, yeah. And before that, if you want to get even before like my automotive career, I was in radio as a promotions and marketing director for Clear Channel all over the southeast. Wow. Yeah. So had my fair share of fun there as well, but. I grew up in, in, I'm from New York. I grew up in Tampa and, in, in, you know, being in the, in the car industry in Tampa, you basically had two choices. You were either building them and fixing them or selling them. And there wasn't too much else to do in, at that point. So the next uh, coolest job I could fall into was uh, working for the radio station and uh, which, which turned out well. And, and funny enough, that, that was that job at the radio station springboarded me into my automotive career. So marketing coming into marketing. So, I mean, did you always have a passion for automobiles? Like were you the kid that had, 10,000 Hot Wheels and things like that? My dad was a mechanic for 30 years, mostly GM stuff at dealerships. And when he retired, he opened up a pawn shop. So, but even at that point, even when he did retire, like Sundays at my house, we're not watching football games. Sundays at my house were, you know, wrenching on cars or side jobs for neighbors or, you know, as I got older, my own cars and things like that. So that was, yeah, I mean, I literally, I grew up with it. And like I said, you know, you know, trying to get a job that, you know, involved the car industry, but I didn't want to, not that I didn't want to wrench. I mean, I, I, I have my ASC certification, you know, I was, I was planning on doing something with that, um, you know, but I, I kind of wanted to do a little bit more, something a little bit more creative. And um, yeah, so I, I, I got into radio and um, I mean, if you want to hear the whole story, it basically, uh, the, the kind of shorter version of it was I, I ended up in radio in Atlanta, uh, worked for a few stations in the cluster clear channel there. Uh, I took a weekend uh, to go down to the, from, from Atlanta, it's down to the Amelia um, uh, Concord, Delgance. Dupont had a booth there. Um, had you know, popped in, talked to the guys, got my free magazine, and uh, you know, as I'm talking to the guys that were in the booth, um, come to find out that um, their corporate headquarters were in Clearwater, which is not far from Tampa, you know, the area that I grew up. Um, and then the owners of Dupont at the time, which was like Clint Sly, and you know, you know, Tom Dupont was an owner there, but Steve Chapman and Clint Sly were in radio prior. They owned stations. They were GMs of stations and things like that. So they knew my my skill set as a marketing and promotions director. They knew what my skill set was. And the fact that you added my passion to cars and that I used to live there, we kept in contact. And after a couple of months, they're like, hey, we really need somebody to help us with our events and our and our marketing. You know, would you consider moving back down? And I'm like, yeah. I mean, I, you know, move back down to, the, to, to there and be back with my family and be in the automotive industry, but something that wasn't involving wrenching. Uh, or, or, you know, spending 80 hours a week selling cars. Uh, so I, I took that job and that's, that's literally what springboarded everything else in my career. And when I was a kid, I used to go through the DuPont registry, circle cars. I thought I like that. I dreamed of buying one day. That's funny. Oh yeah. The way I could go to the store with my mom was like, she'd leave me in the magazine section. Yes. You know, go through it. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I mean, you know, the, or the, what was was the other one? The, the, there were the paper ones, you know, auto trader. Yeah. I was thinking. I was thinking yeah. about Joe Dirt looking for the foot the foot pedal gas. But, uh, but yes, yes, it was the auto. Yeah, the auto, the auto trader. trader. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. 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 So. Little nickel too in the small towns. Yeah. 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 Man, that's funny. Uh, so. Oh, I mean, you could even go through like the actual newspaper and look through the. You we know, were old the enough for that. Newspaper. I remember we shopping for a car yeah. in the newspaper yeah. and calling somebody up, and you know, yeah. it was cheap and only wanted to put seven words into an you know that you you, you, you couldn't exactly yeah. make the description like Ford Granada. Runs, come get it. Oh yeah, P W all the all the acronyms P W P B. Oh yeah, which they PBL. never put that. They, they never put a legend in the, in the. I grew up in Spokane, so they never put a legend in the paper. It was like this is what this means. So, yeah. 
So, so we're, I mean, obviously you said that springboarded your career. Um, I want to talk to you. There's, there's an interesting one in here that uh, we love and that's Spiker. Talk about a unique yeah. company to work for and very cool cars to this day. I think they're getting more appreciation now than they did then. Yeah, they, they really are because when they, so when they came out, it was a, it was a little bit of a hard sell in like 2005, 2006, because on paper, 400 horsepower was like, eh, you know, that was, it was okay. That was just, that was the beginning of the era of the 500 horsepower cars. And, you know, but nobody really took into account the 2,800 pound, you know, curb weight. So, you know, and then at that time also, you know, no, you know, electrically assisted power steering, no ABS, no traction control, no driver aids, all aluminum, no plastic. Um, you know, it, it, it was really a, ahead of its time. And if you remember back with Spiker, you know, they were the first ones with a super sport SUV when they did and they showed the peaking to Paris. Now they never made it, but literally like you can see the lineage of where they came up with the SUV and then Porsche came out with the Cayenne not too long after that as, as inspiration. So my, my role with Spiker came because they were advertising a DuPont registry. And um, I got to know them just as an advertiser. And they were, they were buying ads from the Netherlands uh, over to us. Well, they shipped a car over. It was car 007. It was Victor Muller, the CEO. It was his personal car. They shipped it over to the U.S. Uh, to prospect dealers. So they were shipping it from dealer to dealer saying, look, you know, this is a great car. Take a look at it. See what you think. And then do you want to be a dealer? We'll sign up. So there were only like three of us that worked for Spiker in the U.S. There was me, Karsten uh, was my boss, and then uh, Rona, which is like our product specialist, kind of the, the girl that was like a delivery and kind of the face of the auto shows and whatnot. So the what happened was they we talked them into shipping the car down to us for the Tampa auto show. Now, in the, in the world of international auto shows, you've got Detroit, you've got New York, you've got, you know, Los Angeles. The B-level shows are the, you know, your Tampas and your, you know, Orange Counties and, and you know, things like that. Um, but I put together for DuPont was a sponsor for the auto show. We, we, we knew the guys that were, it was a motor trend auto show. And uh, I put together this million dollar alley and it was kind of the first time it was done. And still to this day, it, it's a, it's a rough lineup to beat. I mean, I had Ferrari Enzo number 400, which was the one that was given to the Pope and sold off for a charity auction. I had a, uh, the Spiker. I had a Kona Sig CC8S, which was the only one in the U.S. Um, Carrera GT, which in 2005 was brand new. I had the world's first stretch limousine Phantom. I had uh, Mercedes ended up coming to us with the SLR um, because they couldn't put it. It wasn't part of their footprint in the booth, but they had a car available. They wanted it to display, but they couldn't put it in their booth, which I still to this day don't really understand fully, but we ended up with it. So I had this lineup of supercars in 2000, I think it was 2005 or 2006, that even like Detroit and, and New York wouldn't have seen in one spot. Um, and so when they shipped the car to us from for the auto show, it wasn't running. And, you know, from the, what the transporter had said, like it, you know, nobody had, you know, it, it never ran when it came over to the U.S. It was gorgeous, really pretty purple, tan colored interior, and just all of the aluminum work and everything was, was really, really pretty. So we're playing with it one day and, and I go to take the gas cap off. And if you've never seen it, the gas cap is a spiker emblem and made out of a solid, you know, yeah. aluminum. So I, I took the gas cap off to look at it. And as I had it in my hand, I smelled fuel and I'm like, there's gas in here. Like this car runs. So the early, early spikers had a combination of, because it was an Audi based drivetrain, they used the Audi immobilizer system with the old flip key. And they piggybacked that with a Clifford alarm system that they used in their little, uh, really pretty billet aluminum keyless entry system, which you were able to use the two buttons to pop the doors open. Uh, and it also armed and disarmed the alarm. So it was kind of a confusing piggyback system that nobody really realized, but Earlier in my life, I did car stereos and alarms like through high school and through the beginning of college. So I was familiar with Clifford and I ended up charging the battery overnight, uh, came back, got some lights to come on. So I knew it had, had life and it took me the better part of almost an entire day to figure out the correct sequence of arming and disarming the Clifford alarm and then using the immobilizer. Did the key need to be in it? Did it need to be near it? Did the doors need to be open? And it ended up being like you had to do a full cycle of the system where you basically armed the car, walked away, came back, opened the door, put the immobilizer key in the car, turned the ignition on, and then the switches in Europe were not required to be labeled properly. So the start switch was this very simple 
um, aluminum button that wasn't labeled. It was very dome shaped and it didn't look like anything. And if you didn't know that that was the start button, you wouldn't have th thought to push it. It looked like, you know, it was the same button they used to release the doors on the outside. So like they, they reused some of these buttons and so you didn't know. Once I figured it all out, it fired right up. And so I, I you know, I called the, the, our contact in, in North America and I was like, hey, I was like, you know, I got the car running. And they're like, what do you mean you got the car running? I was like, yeah, I just drove it around the parking lot. Things amazing. And they're like, you got it running. And I'm like, yeah, they're like, it's been to 10 different dealers and nobody's been able to get it started. <laughs> and even with calling over to the, to the Netherlands, like there was a, there was a you know, communication gap or for whatever reason, they, they just never, they never could get it figured out. So from that point, it springboarded me to on my weekends, I ended up babysitting the car for journalists. Um, you know, I had some, I had some experience in the track. I had some experience right-hand driving at different events and doing, you know, ride and drives and whatnot. So Spiker hired me on the weekends to, to do their, their ride and drives and, and babysit the car with the journalists because they didn't want to just let it go. So now the car is running and driving, they could, they could take it out and, and let people experience it. So most of the time, if you saw like there was an article like European car and some of these other, you know, sports car international and things like that, like a lot of the times that it was me driving the car, uh, in those photos, uh, or at least I was, I was there, you know, through most of the videos and things like that. And at some point when they got big enough, they're like, Hey, listen, you know, you know, the car, you know, you've got a technical background, you, you know, you can handle the car. Well, come work for us. And my title is, you know, came up as dealer operations manager, which not really sure exactly what that meant because there was such a small company. We, we, the three of us did it all, but, uh, but it let me go to all the auto shows. Uh, it let me really network myself and put myself out there. And, you know, in, in 2005, 2006, when you're with a brand like that, it, it kind of stands out a little bit and that, that's kind of how my uh, career at Spiker started. That's really cool. I remember, I, I don't, did we, we had a dealership with Park Place here, I think. They, they, yeah. They, they doubled yeah. here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you did. I remember going. David Price? Uh, I think is the, yeah. the GM there. Um, I'm not sure. But I remember seeing that yeah, for the first time. I mean, and if, yeah. if, if you're a non-car person, you've seen the inside of a Spiker just because of the shifting mechanism. Yeah. Was it aluminum dash that was like, Turned a little like Air Force. Yeah. yeah. So just absolutely so, incredible. So Spiker's history was that they back like nine, 1907, I mean, it's one of the older car companies that had ever been around. They built airplanes and they actually also were the first uh, car company to get a motorsport sponsorship that they had Louis Vuitton sponsor them in the Peking to Paris race that they ran. So when World War, I'm going to get this wrong. World War One happened. They stopped doing the airplanes, um, and 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 afterwards they started doing the. They kind of started getting more into the cars. But that's they have such a history with aviation that they went as far as like all the toggle switches were aviation quality because they wanted that same click that you can get in a plane, um, and you know all the turned aluminum and everything else was was very much of a throwback to their to their aviation. Yeah, yeah. the logo is it, it's a propeller, is it not? Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, it's a propeller in front of a in front of a tire. Okay. Just like. Without it in front of me, I'm like, I know I've seen it. Yeah. yeah so. Park Place is Butch Bachmeyer and David Bingham are uh, the owners. David Bingham. Yeah. yeah and there you there. go. So, and go ahead. My my old press car, which is 083, is actually up in your area. If you ever see a black spiker with tan interior running around, that's Justice Reed. Ah. Um, so he he bought our uh, he bought our, our press car and actually had it. Uh, he was the prototype to supercharge the car with VF Engineering. So he has one of the very few handful of cars that have a supercharger on it on top of that. Yeah, I see you. We'll get, I was going to ask you about VF Engineering because, uh, I mean, Hennessy was before that and a few other things, but uh, I saw you worked there too. And I've, I've been yeah. drooling over that VF Engineering supercharger for the R8 for God knows how long, but it's oh, 28 God. grand. It's so good. Yeah. It's so good though. Oh, I know. It's so good. It's uh, everybody says it's so drivable. Like it's, it's, you can just drive the car like you normally would and then you get into it and just freaking pulls like a freight train. Like it doesn't already, but yeah. And that, that's always been Nick's MO though, is like all of the kits and the tunes that he does, like it, it has to be OEM quality. Yeah, they're and perfect. The, the really neat thing about the R8 kit is really reversible. I mean, there's nothing that's done to the car that if you leased a car, he's got customers with the cars that are leased and you know, you could swap it back out and, and you'd never know there was anything done to the car. You, you know, revert the, the, the tune and, and you're good to go. But yeah, uh, Nick and, and the guys at VF are, you know, it's, it's top-notch stuff. It really yes, is. Yes, I mean, he slap a supercharger on California, I'll look right up now? with him. Like, isn't, that, isn't that what he's driving around in yeah. right now? I think, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's, his, that's his promotional yeah. car. That's a rough life. That's <laughs> a wonderful promotional car. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. No, they do top-notch work. I, I told John, like, she wants to keep it. She's like, she loves the all-natural, all, excuse me, the no hybrid assist, nothing. She likes the V10. And so I'm like, well, so you can make it faster when you're ready. I was like, we wanted to, but I told her, I was like, we're not turboing it. We're going to do the, the supercharger. 
So. 200 horsepower in a supercharger is just perfect because anything yeah. more than that, it becomes not drivable. You got to worry about drivetrain issues and things like that. And it's, it, it is flawless, like factory quality. Yeah. You're running a pump gas without blowing the transmission up. Yeah. Yeah. Which is what happens with those. Yeah. It's very, very cool. Talk a little bit about your relationship with Hennessy. I know, I know you've been with them a couple of times. <laughs> yeah. We actually just, uh, a, a good, you know, Roy Katz and, and you work with yeah. 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 Roy just yeah. took delivery of his. He got, he got uh, number, number 23, yeah, right? Yeah. Uh, the F5. He was mm-hmm. out. Blasting in the rain today. I saw photos of it. Yeah. But, but talk a little <laughs> bit about Roy's a sicko. I yeah, love it. <laughs> he, well, I mean, I remember years ago, he had he got that SV the first time, and he had snow tires on it. He was up in the pass, and people were freaking out. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, mostly because yeah. they didn't want to run into it. But Roy didn't care. But talk, to, talk about your relationship with them and how you kind of became working with, with them. So, John, uh, similar story with John is, um, so we, when I worked at DuPont, um, we, we built a SEMA booth one year uh, using a lot of our advertisers and we were outside, uh, you know, which would have been near where like the burn yard is now at SEMA. And we were outside in the parking lot there. We had a huge, gorgeous Airstream that, uh, you know, again, was an advertiser that we used as the background. And then we loaded the whole front of the car uh, of the booth up with, you know, these cars. And we had like Mob Steel had a car out there. Um, there was another advertiser that made a smart car electric. And this is, and again, going back you know, 2004, 2003, um, before anybody was doing anything like that, it came over from Europe. Uh, and Hennessy brought out one of his, uh, it was a yellow 650R um, Viper. And so I, you know, got to know John through that. I spent the whole week with him there. Um, we, we, we talked a lot about experiences and things like that. He just turned into be a really good guy. He ended up having to leave a day early. And so he basically turned the keys to the car over to me and said, hey, listen, when Seema's over, can you take the car over to the transporter, you know, and, and drop it off? I'm like, yeah, sure. got this, yeah. not a problem. And so I got to drive the, you know, the 650. And then um, it, we ended up, uh, while I was taking it to the transporter, he, he wanted me to take it to do a photo shoot for somewhere. So I took it over to the, the Los Angeles or the Vegas sign. Um, and, you know, we just kind of developed a relationship from there. So I ended up being friends with them and, and he consulted me on a, on a number of different things. And, um, I introduced them to a lot of different, you know, customers and we worked with, you know, I worked with them and, and I got to hear about the Venom series like way before anybody else did, uh, you know, the supercar, not the, not the, the packages that he does. So yeah, we just became friends and like, you know, one thing led to another and that while I was in between other jobs, like I ended up, you know, going on with him, you know, full time and helping him with expanding his brand. And, you know, the, when there was one part when, when COVID hit, uh, he was one of my bigger clients when I had my own kind of agency and COVID hit and everything kind of slowed down. So I ended up uh, moving for a few months to Houston and working with him as an operations manager just so he can keep me on payroll. That was before I went to Curated, but I've always been a big proponent of him. Um, you know, I know everybody's got mixed reviews of what he did and and does and how he operates his business. And there's, I mean, you could read through the, the all the Reddit threads, but I mean, there's, you know, He's overall like he, he's he's run into a series of misfortunes, but you have to respect the fact that he's been in this business for 30 years and there are very, very few men uh, or women or, you know, any companies that can say that they've lasted that long, especially through the ups and downs. Um, he's, you know, he's took it on the chin and he kept going. Uh, he did everything that he said he was going to do, which everybody said, you can't build a 300 mile an hour car. You can't build your own supercar. Oh, it's a Lotus with a body kit. It's this, it's that. Like, it doesn't matter. Whatever anybody said he couldn't do, he did. Um, and so you you have to give him that respect, regardless of what you think happened behind the scenes of any of the other transactions that really, really, if you look into it, wasn't completely his fault. Um, you know, he hired some people to run the company for him, thinking he'd have more time with his family. And he took his finger off of... Uh, off the button for a hot minute, and you know he he kind of paid the price, and he you know and, and he he learned the lesson. But again, he 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 motioned through it and and came out on the end. We've been in this business long enough. I mean, not just I don't mean the podcast. I mean just working in the industry with the car shows and stuff like that, and meeting people in person. There's always two sides to every story, and it's never as much as yep. reading to impress. I mean, yeah. except for that one where the Nissan guy escaped in a suitcase. That was cool. Yeah, but uh, well, yeah, that was that was. That's a little different story. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, so, but, but for the most part, when I hear stuff like that, even talking, we talked to Steve Saline the other day about uh, just his dealing yeah. with China and everything. And it's like, man, there's so much to that story that nobody knows. Oh, it's just dude. like, it's, I've, I've been all these guys. Yeah. I've got, as I've gotten older, as Nick and I have gotten older, we've been way slower to jump on anything that we read until we 
talk to somebody in there because it's like no, they're just gonna they're gonna sell you they're gonna tell you what they can sell, what's gonna drink bring yeah. you in, and I'm like no, there's, there's always more to it than that. So I mean, I like to think I have a pretty good name in the industry, and I remember back in the day, Jalopnik did an article about some stuff that happened with John, and if you read the article. There's all of these quotes of people that said shit and they, you know, they, they came to the light and said, this happened, this happened, this happened, this happened. None of them, none of them went on record and put their names in that article. None yeah. of them would let the guy that wrote the article put their names in the article. They, they, they came up with all of these things. They said, whether they were true, untrue, a little bit true, however you want to say it, they, they wouldn't go on record. And, but I did. I was the only one in the entire article that went on record and said, look, I worked there. This is what I know. This is what I've seen. This is what I can attest to on, with my own eyes, you know, because, you know, again, not, I'm not saying he's perfect, but, you know, he's done everything that he's, that I've ever heard him say he was going to do. And so I, I give him that respect because he's earned it. Yeah. I don't think any, I mean, I'm not throwing stones from inside a glass house either. It's not like any of us, we've never made any mistakes in the industry. What are you talking about? Well, we asked a bunch no, of people about Benny. No. Only a couple of people spit on the ground. I know, so, right? So that <laughs> Look, my one of my claims to fame was I, I was at SEMA one year for a job interview and and uh, and ended up meeting up with this guy. And he's like, you know, you didn't put any references in there. And I was like, well, we're at SEMA. I was like, if you can ask around, like, if somebody knows me by name, I go consider them a reference. And he was just like, well, that's pretty ballsy. I was like, give it a shot. And you know, he calls me on Friday at the end of the week. He goes, you weren't kidding, were you? I was like. Nope. <laughs> but I've, I've worked very, very hard uh, to, to maintain that integrity in the industry. So that's pretty, I mean, you know, I, I like that. You just, you have a resume, just talk to people at SEMA. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> Good for you. Yeah. If they know me by name, then ask them whatever you want. Absolutely. Ask. Yes. You know, be, you know, cause you know, you give somebody a list of references as friends of yours, you know, they're going to say the right thing. What's the point of, you know, me producing a reference list. It's like, you go find it yourself. And so it's, you know, to be able to do that, that's something that I've spent decades being able to, to work at and, and, and be a part of. So That's important. Talk about, I mean, your, your, your profession now with being the operations manager for Westside Collector Car Storage with uh, Matt Farah. By the way, I just saw his video about the second location opening. Looks incredible. Um, that's that's yeah, amazing. Very, very cool. Uh, I did watch, we, that, that, we watched everything through the build process, but talk about how you ended up there. That's really cool. <laughs> yeah, good spot. Matt and I have probably been friends for close to 20 years. I mean, you can, if you go back and do a YouTube search for garage 419 and then add spiker to it, you'll see a video that Matt and I did 15 years ago. Um, I met Matt, uh, on the set of, now this is, this is going to age all of us, but do you remember spike TV? Of course. Yeah. So in 2005, they did an automotive award show called auto rocks. With an yeah. Yeah. Um, I was working at DuPont registry at the time. There was a one of the executive producer of the show um, I reached out to when I saw them announce Auto Rocks on a I think it was a forum back when we used forums, um, and uh, I, I reached out to him and said, "Hey, I work for Dupont Registry. You know, this seems like a really cool thing. Like, you know, you know, if you need anything from us as a magazine, whatever we can do, let me know." So he reaches back to me and says, "Hey, you know what?" He goes, "He goes, I love the magazine, huge fan." He goes, "We were having a hard time convincing manufacturers to give us press cars." And so for those that don't know, Auto Rocks was supposed to be a, an automotive awards show. And it was uh, like the Oscars for cars. Uh, it was hosted that year by Carmen Electra and Joe Rogan. Uh, and they were giving awards like, you know, best convertible, best supercar, that kind of stuff like that. And it was a whole whole big thing to do. And it was it was a neat idea on paper. I think they did it for two years. It, it ended up, Spike TV didn't end up working much past that. But it was a cool little project. So I start... I had a relationship with a lot of the manufacturers because we were getting press cards from DuPont Registry. So I stuck my neck out and said, hey, listen, the, the show's legit. We're involved. Like if they need a car, go ahead. So I helped them secure, you know, Dodge Vipers and Audis and a bunch of other things like that. So as a thank you, uh, when it came up and they were filming it in January towards right over my birthday. And so when, when you know, as a thank you, the, the producer said, hey, listen, why don't we fly you out? You can come work as a, you know, a porter, you know, producer, PA, whatever you want to call it. And, and, you know, come and be on set, be here, play with the cars with us. And, uh, you know, and I saw like by myself, I just, you know, headed out to California at that time. It was my, my first time ever being out in California and having me over my birthday weekend. And, uh, he hands me the keys to, to the Viper that I had gotten them. He's like, we ended up not being able to use this for the show. So this is your car for the weekend. Um, and, but Matt Farah was there, uh, JF, uh, was there who runs uh, tangent vector, who does all the Porsche videos. Um, Tom Morningstar, who's another big producer and cameraman was there. 
Um, so that's how I, oh, Rob Ferretti from Super Speeders. Uh, so these were all friends of the producers and they were all part of the same kind of group of car guys in the tri-state area up in New York area. So I, I just, I hit it off with all of them. We became friends and, and Matt and I have kind of been friends ever since. So, um, you know, it's, it's when he, when he first started the idea of West side, I was, you know, I, I helped him with, you know, some of the ideas and, and he bounced a bunch of ideas off me. And it was a really great idea when COVID hit and I ended up having to go and, um, actually let me back up. So I actually lived in his house for a while after I got divorced. Uh, he's like, come out to California. You can stay in my house till you figure out where you want to live and, you know, and go from there. So I, I, I moved out to his, to, into his beach house and, and got to live with him for a few years. I, I, I met my girlfriend there. Uh, and, uh, you know, when COVID hit, like I said, everything kind of dried up. So I, I did a quick stint in Houston. Then I got a call from, from Curated and um, went to Curated for two years. And then Matt called me and said, hey, I want to open a second location. So we talked about where and, and, and what we wanted to do. And he says, look, he goes, I, I was just about done with everything that I needed to do at Curated. He goes, why don't you come out and help me open the second location? And so I thought about it for a little bit. And, I, and then I got a call from Victor at the ID agency, which is the other thing that I'm doing while I'm out here as well. Um, and he said, Hot Wheels is doing a, a the Legends tour. Um, they're bringing it back after COVID. Um, you know, do you want to run the tour for us? And I said, well, let me, let me work some things out. And I was like, I may end up out in California anyway. So let me see. So I talked to Matt and I said, look, I'll come back to help you understand that I'm going to have a couple of weekends that I have to go out and do this tour for ID. You know, it was, it was good money. And you know, it's a, you know, it was one weekend a month or something like that at the time. So I worked it out. So I ended up coming back to California with two jobs and, you know, and with Matt, what I've kind of helped been helping him with is carrying every, the, the look and feel of everything from his main location and making sure that it was duplicated at the second location. So, you know, branding and, and imaging and, and processes and procedures and helping him automate some of the things that, that happened there and, and, and working with, you know, training new staff and the right equipment, you know, cause he's got to, you know, maintain the right look and feel and, and, and things like that. And basically kind of stepping in and anywhere that, that I can help. Uh, and it's, it's done really well. So the, the, the second building that he owns should be, should be, you know, done by, you know, early to mid next year. And he'll have a full, you know, conference room and a, and a full customer lounge and a much bigger area to hang out than he did at his first location. Um, the second location that the, because it's in South Bay, uh, it's, it's a little bit more, uh, affordable than the Playa Vista location. Uh, he's got room for even more cars. Um, and it's, it's, a uh, it's a really, it's, it's a nice setup. So it's, a, you know, if this, if he gets it filled the way that he wants, he gets a couple years under his belt. He's, you know, he'll look at a third location if, if all, if all goes well. I mean, I, like I said, I saw the recent video he put out. It looks incredible. And I, I mean, and he was talking about expanding the other building and putting everything in. So it looks, it's a much different feel than the, than the Playa Vista one, but I like it a lot. So, yeah. It, it, it is, yeah. Um, you know, he had, he had some issues with Playa because he was limited and, and didn't realize that he was limited until he opened it, but he was limited to the cars he can put there. Uh, the, the four car stacker that he has in what they call the cathedral room, um, it, it, it's limited to size and, and weight. Uh, you know, he could only do a certain weight. He could only do a certain size. And so when you get guys, we had customers with, you know, the sprinter van, expedition vans, guys with big off-road, like land cruisers, guys with, uh, you know, lifted G wagons and, and things like that. Um, and you just, he just didn't have anywhere to put them uh at the playa location so that was one of the things that he really wanted to make sure and with this because the stackers at the second location are only two cars high so you got one on the floor and then one above it um half of those spaces are at the peak of the roof so he could fit you know a sprinter van on those and the lifts are ten thousand pounds instead of six thousand pounds and so it gives him a little bit more room to be able to you know to accommodate some of those customers and, and we do we have a lot of customers that were like you know hey you know now that you have the second location i want to put my, my my expedition vehicle over there so also the other thing that he wanted to do is be able to host and funny enough his first location has no parking storage facility <laughs> but no parking no parking outside uh yeah. no no get no guest yeah. parking yet so uh, now with the second location he's already hosted a couple of like cars and coffee style events with the brecky car club and you know now he can host you know 100 cars on location to be there and it's, you know, a little bit more of a centralized location where most of the cars and coffees are Orange County or they're LA or they're Van Nuys. There really wasn't anywhere in between Orange County and downtown LA proper that, that, that you know, was hosting these. Most of them were, you know, Malibu or by the beach or something like that. So 
this being in South Bay, it's, it's, you know, it's 20 minutes from just about anywhere. You get to Orange County, you get to here, you get to there. So he gets a, a good mishmash of, of cars. Yeah. We, it's nice that he's, you know, growing and learning and improving. We've seen what happens with some of the uh, storage facilities where they get too fragmented and then yeah. they don't survive much past that. Like you've got one, one no, location being run really well, another location not being run at all, one location that's totally yeah. different. You're like, is this, this is just yeah. a name? Cause none of this is the same. Yeah. And it really annoys people. And it's, it's it's and it's fun. it's funny because most people don't understand that the small details when you're storing a car you know a, a seven figure car or even a fifty thousand dollar car but something that means something to you, you know it. Matt's idea of the locations is not a place to just put your car. It's it's a concierge service. So the idea is that you know if you're if you've got to collect your car and you're limited to the amount of time that you have to spend with it. So the idea is that okay well. Maybe you drive your car, you come back and realize I need tires. So we have a we have a company that will come on site and replace the tires in your car. Uh, we have staff that can bring your car or ship your car to uh, you know the dealership for service. We have a you know we have a, a connections with four or five motoring and a bunch of these other places that um, even some of the collector cars. We you know when you get in, you're talking like some of the the, the Lambos. We have a, a relationship with a lot of the vintage Porsche guys that. A lot of these smaller shops in LA have a, a waiting list. You know, it could be four to five months before you can get your car in to get fixed. Because we have that relationship, Matt and I do with a lot of these smaller shops, our customers get preferential treatment. So we call from Westside and say, hey, I got a customer's, you know, air-cooled Porsche down. TLG will take it right away. Whereas if you call off the streets, they're like, listen, I'd love to, but I can't touch it for two months. So the idea is that anything that we can do to maximize your time with your car, it could be we get a call on a Friday and say, hey, can you fill the tank up, check the tires, we're going on a canyon run on tomorrow morning, I'll pick it up at seven, wash it, gas it, and do whatever. I mean, we charge them for that, obviously, but yeah. the, the option is there. And so a lot of these guys, that's the only chance they get to drive those cars maybe all month. And so why waste your time going to have your car smogged? You could have us do it during the week. And, and so that's really the idea behind the, the facility more than anything. Yeah, time is money. A lot of people who are, you know, making the money to have those cars, I think there's a, there is a disconnect in, in some of the audience there. They don't realize how much those guys work. Like I've, yeah. when, but they do. Yeah, when we were with a Drivers Club, and I know Doug and uh, Matt had talked before about yeah. that, um, loved the facility. And it was one of the things I learned very quickly about a lot of the owners who have those cars. It's like they have five different kinds of Ferraris, but they're working so much that the time with them means everything. And so it's easy to yeah. see, it's easy to think that these guys are just like, you know, getting money handed to them and they have, you know, the life of leisure. It's like, nah, that's not usually what I saw. These guys are busting their ass. No. I mean, listen, you do have the guys yeah, that, you course. know, built the business, sold it, and they're sitting there doing nothing. But most, most of yeah. the collectors and the customers that we have are guys that, you know, they have multiple businesses or they have yep. you know, a couple of different jobs or doing something. And, and they do, they, they love the cars. You know, the facilities are safe. Uh, most of the customers get some sort of a discount once their insurance company finds out they're being stored at Matt's place versus at their house. And with the, you know, with the crime here in, in L.A. right now, I mean, I, I just had a friend who, who had his, his Jeep stolen. He had a 392 Wrangler and he came out to a pile of glass. They ended up, you know, he had low jack and they ended up recovering it. Found out they did one of the OBD2 things where they, you know, plugged into the OBD2 and hacked into the CAN bus system. And, you know, they, they stole his truck right up front in front of his house. So if you can save 10 or 15% of your, your insurance and keep it at a place where you don't have to worry about doing anything, you literally just go there, grab your keys, enjoy the car, bring it back the next day, drop the keys off and, and leave, have at it. Yes. You know, it, 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 it works. Yeah, out. same with here. Most cars that are stolen, if they don't have a low jack or someone to track and they don't get recovered, no matter what it is, it's just, yeah. there's not enough police yeah. and too much crap. I have a question for you. Something that clicked in my okay. mind as we're talking about this. When we were talking about Spiker and you were talking about the purple car that you got started, that's not the same Spiker that you got into customs uh, that I, that, that, was that a different car? <laughs> that was a different car. Okay. That, that car was, was the prototype uh, aileron. That's what I thought. Uh, okay. That we were doing for the, for the dealer launch. Yeah. I, I will. And I will make sure I link both of the, your Venn Wiki uh, interviews, but I remember watching that and then it clicked to me as I was doing my research. I'm like, I totally know this story. So, but um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, so I, yeah. I'm going to leave it to our, our, our listeners can go find that. Like I said, we'll link it, but it's a really good story as far as, uh, you know, yeah. basically yeah. getting an illegal car into the country. So, yes. Yeah. So, yes. And driving on the road. And driving on the road. It yes. happens. Yeah. It happens. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you're talking about stealing cars. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, an irreplaceable prototype, one off. Yeah, uh, it just I'm just going to drive it. So, yeah, that that it, that's a fun story. I've been very lucky to be in the right place at the right time and and get to experience some some really amazing things that it's not even a matter of money. Like the, the things that I've done, I I know that I I couldn't pay for. Uh, and I and I consider myself very lucky for it. Well, yeah, and like you had mentioned earlier, you, you've done some work with Curated, which, I mean, as of recently, their YouTube has taken off. I've followed them for years as far as their builds and things like yeah. that. An incredible dealership, I mean, and the attention to detail uh, is, is amazing. Um, how did you kind of end up with that opportunity? Uh, well, so John and I worked together. Um, John, back in his early days, uh, created this event in West Palm Beach, um, and it was a supercar show right on the water in West Palm, First time anybody had ever done that. Um, we went out there with Spiker, um, and you know, John and I are similar ages, and and you know, here's this young guy, long hair, everything South Florida. It, you know, you could ever if you if you picture some guy in South Florida, it, it you're picturing John. Yeah. Without a doubt. You know, shirt shirt open, long hair, you know, dark skin. He's got a great jawline. He's, you know, he's he's prettier than you know most of the girls you know. Um, but he was, he was, a, he was a hustler and he was a hard worker and he, he put this shit together above and beyond, you know, nobody thought he could do it being as young as he was. Nobody wanted to believe him that, you know, he was going to pull this off and, and he did. And, you know, we just, we kind of stuck, stuck friends. I supported every event he ever did living in Tampa. It was easy. Um, you know, so I, while I had access to Spiker and then when I was with Lambo, I, you know, I, I supported everything that he did. So he called me when I was at Houston working for John. And again, like none of us knew when, when COVID was going to be over at that point. Like, we, you know, it was, it was, we thought it was going to be over in three months. And then it was a year later. And it's like, what, you know, we had no idea. So John was getting ready to expand the shop. He happened to call me and say, Hey, listen, I know in your travels, you, you know, you run into some people. I, I want to expand my service and parts department. I'm doing sales and this, I have two techs. I have, you know, three lifts and that's all I've got. And, and, I can knock a wall down and do all these things and I just need somebody that can do it. And I went, how about me? And he went, seriously? And I went, I think I don't like Houston. I, I love John to death, but like, I, I, I didn't, I didn't like Houston. I just did not like Houston. And it wasn't even Houston. It was Katie. And then John lived in Sealy, his offices. So it was like a 40 minute commute on I-10 each way. It was, it was terrible. Um, so yeah, so I, I picked up and moved to, uh, moved to Miami. My, uh, my girlfriend came with me. She had never even been to Miami before, but I went there uh, about a month or two beforehand. She packed everything up from California and, and drove across country and met me. And um, yeah, I hired a, a handful of techs, um, brought a guy in from North Carolina that I knew was a super great technician, uh, especially with Diablos. He worked for Lamborghini. He was the tech uh, at the dealership in North Carolina, but he had been with Lambo. I mean, he was PD, he was P, PDI or PPIing um, and PDIing. Diablos when they were new. I mean, he worked on the LMO2s when they were new. So he was a perfect tech for curated because uh, he had seen it all and been through everything all. So we, we knocked a wall down, added some lifts, added some other techs, made some changes. Um, over the two years I was there, I developed, you know, relationships with the, uh, you know, with a lot of different vendors, found some guys that we were doing 3D printing on parts and things that nobody in the classic car industry had really been doing. Um, and to, to be able to maintain some of these cars and, for that, I was able to get my hands on, I mean, not even poster cars, cars that like there weren't even enough of them to put on posters. Uh, I got to drive Ferrari F50 number one. We did a full car part restoration on a mechanical restoration. Um, and when we finally got it back together, you know, I got to drive it and, and present it to the customer. I mean, Mira SVs, um, XJ220s, I mean, Bumblebee from Transformers. I mean, the list goes on and on. Uh, but John, um, people don't understand that John spends years and I'm not even exaggerating years with these customers to find these cars. He's developed the relationships with them that he sends them birthday cards. He sends their, their dogs gifts. He, you know, he knows the families for years to be able to build a relationship up when they are ready to sell these cars that he knows they have, but nobody has even seen the light of day in 10 years they are finally like, you know, I think I kind of want this. If you find me this, I'll, I'll, I'll sell you that. Or, you know, I think I'm not really using it. Let's go ahead and, and make that deal. And, but it, it, it's not something that just happens overnight. He is constantly, constantly hounding these people and, and, you know, unearthing cars nobody has seen before. I mean, his dad, his dad worked on Countach's, right? Like, didn't he come from that? Yeah. Cause I mean, I was just, I'm, yeah. I was just recently, you're talking about unearthing cars. He just found that 30th anniversary edition 
Diablo in like Sweden or, or somewhere like that yeah. in just a normal street. And I'm, I mean, it's amazing. But um, again, this is not about him, but I just, it's, I, I'm, I'm a big fan of that, of curated. So, and the restoration that goes on there, not just only with Lamborghini, but like you said, the F50s and, and amazing yeah. things. So. There really isn't anybody else in the world that 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 has the the access like they do. I mean, there are some that that broker some rare cars. Um, there are some that specialize in certain things. But if it's weird and one off, I mean, he got in. You know, cars. Like, I mean, I've forgotten more of the cars than he's. You know, that I can I can even think about. I mean, Murcielago race cars and and the shit nobody sees. He's got that. I don't even know the name. He's got that one-off Mercedes that the Sheik had built that, that they're, they, the, uh, as, as, as Eka, as, as not as Tekka, but it's, it's something it's like that. Something with an A. Yeah. They've shown it. I know it's and, and it, right now. So yeah. Yeah. I mean, so that it's stuff like that. I mean, that's a, a one-off car to me, another car that's been sitting in North Carolina. I remember when I worked for Lamborghini would call on that dealer and would go there. It was, you know, it was up in kind of a storage area upstairs at the dealership and it had been sitting before they got it. They got it and sat on it for a while, and the owner collected it. And you know, it, and you know, John had been hounding the guy, uh, you know, for years about it, and finally got him to to let it go and and, and take it over. That makes me think that all the experiences you've had in this. Do you have like a favorite car memory? Is there one you love to talk about that just jumps out at you? That's an interesting question. Um, I mean, driving the Ferrari of fifty zero one. Well, do uh, if you if you were to, if you were to make a list of you know everybody gets asked your car guy what's your favorite car what's your favorite car my my attitude towards that question is you know I don't have a, a specifically favorite car because to me and, and this is something I kind of adopted when I worked for Spiker you know when you're when you're having these collector cars these exotic cars these special cars whatever it is to you it's no longer transportation, you know, and to a lot of people, the, the layman, so to speak, you know, that are, that are just buying cars, they don't understand why their neighbor has three cars in the driveway. You have to look at those level of cars um, as a, not transportation, but as an experience. And the way that we would explain it to people at the auto shows is, is you would say that, you know, you, you base the experience that you want to have on vacation by where you want to go. You want to go snow skiing, you go to Colorado, you want to go scuba diving, you go to, you know, the Bahamas. It's not that either one of those are a better vacation. It's a different experience. So it's, it's the same way. Like, you know, I have a vintage 65 Cadillac, so it's not the prettiest car in the world. It's not a show car. It's very nice. It's very cool. I think it's very cool. Um, Admiring on your Instagram. It's, it's a, it's, (laughs) it's slightly dangerous. It still has four wheel disc brakes. Still has the original engine. Uh, all I did to it was put the mob steel wheels on it and put the air ride on it and called it a day. But that car forces me to have to slow down. I have a, a one basic radio with two speakers just so I have some sound. Don't have a big bumpy sound system in it. Um, I didn't want to cut holes in anything in the interior. So, you know, the speakers are actually underneath the seats, these special hot rod speakers that I found. And so like, but that car forces me that anytime I drive it to just have to slow down and just enjoy the drive because you can't drive it fast. You're not stopping fast. Um, you know, it, it's, it, it, you're, you're having to stop at every gas station you could, you could pass by. So, but that, but I cannot duplicate that experience that I get out of that car in anything else. So to say like, you know, what's your favorite car, it kind of depends on what am I doing, but I always end up defaulting to the F50 because it checks for me all the boxes of what I would want that supercar to be. It's a naturally aspirated V12. It's manual transmission. It's a roadster. I'm a sucker for roadsters uh, or convertibles or anything like that. I have to have, if it's an option for a sunroof, I have to have it. Like it just has to happen. Um, You know, it's rarity, it's performance. I mean, it, it checks all the boxes for me. So I knew the number one car existed. I didn't know that John had it until I started working there. And I got there and it's like half of it's here and the other half's up on the lift here. And it took us, out of the two years I was there, it was a year and a half of us to sourcing parts, making parts, you know, calling in favors and finding everybody that's got F50 parts everywhere. I mean, you would not believe the shit that I learned about, um, you know, I mean, we had, we had to find these, these springs for the throttle bodies and they had to be a certain length and they had to be a certain pressure. And I had to learn how to measure the, you know, the, the spring rate and, 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 you know, how to, how to test the, you know, the, the, the the coil diameter and all of these things just to replace this one spring that Ferrari didn't make anymore. 
So everything was a labor of love on that car, but we got it back together. You know, they said it couldn't be done by a shop like us. And uh, we did it and we drove it. And, and you know, the, the owner, Dennis, daily drives it. I mean, just about daily drive. He drives it more than you would think he would drive a car like that. Let's put it that way. He takes it to the gym. He takes people for rides at any time they ask. Uh, and he is the, the, the coolest owner ever. But getting to see that car start, knowing what we went through to put it together, and then getting to drive it and, you know, Dennis trusting me to be able to take it out and, and fulfill a, you know, a, a dream. And I had driven an F50 before, but this one was different. This one, you know, I had heart and soul into. So that was probably one of my, my, my better experiences. Um, the, the, the spiker would be on that list of, of getting to start that car, knowing that nobody else had, had done that before. Um, there's been a handful of some, some pretty unique things that I've done. Um, it's, it's really, I took, uh, the Ford, so Ford GTX one, which is not something that people know anything about, but there was a, um, there was a shop, uh, Gennady design group that took the Ford GTs in 2005. And as a throwback to a prototype X one that Ford did in the sixties, they cut the top off. Yeah. Of the there's Ford one here. GT. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the, that was a pretty interesting thing that he ended up being a client of mine. He paid me to take that car all over the country. I took it to bike week. I took it to the show. So I took it to auto rocks number two that was in Vegas. And he had scheduled a photo shoot with Ron Kimball, who's a very famous uh, automotive photographer, um, you know, kind of up in the Monterey area. And um, I, the transporter fell through at the last minute. And so Mark's like, drive it. <laughs> and I'm like, he's like, got to be there in the morning. And so I literally, car had no top. This was the prototype X1. He had no top whatsoever. Um, and I left as soon as Autorox was over. I took my bag. I put it in the passenger seat and drove from LA straight to San Francisco in the middle of the night and, and got there the next morning to do the photo shoot. That was a pretty cool experience um, to be able to just, to just do and say that I did. So, I mean, I, I could do it for hours. I've got, I've got all kinds of crazy stories, but those are some that kind of stand out. I love it. So as far as your other favorite things, uh, what's the Shih Tzu's name? Oh, yeah. Tell us about the dogs. The what? Your Shih Tzu? Oh, uh, Ziggy? Ziggy? Okay. He's a, yeah, he's a, he's a Shih Tzu Maltese okay. uh, mix. Okay. And he's about six pounds, and he's actually 13 right now. Oh, okay. Uh, he'll, be, he'll be 14 in February. So I am not a small dog person. Um, I've owned Rottweilers and Akitas and rescued, you know, different labs. Everything I've had has been, you know, 70 pounds plus. So when I first started dating Tannis, um, she's like, I have a dog. And then she sends me a picture and I'm like, yeah, it's not a dog. Um, but I've, I've fallen in love with Ziggy over the years. And, um, you know, he's, he's, uh, shown me that small dogs that are not yappy can be pretty amazing. And, and he's a tough little guy. Oh, we understand. I mean, technically, I have two brothers that are Shih Tzus, and then he's got he's got a son that's a Pomeranian. So yeah, yeah. which is same boat you are, dude. And like Pomeranian, yeah. Pomeranian. My girlfriend was like, I, she wanted a packable dog. She loves to travel, and so she decided on this little yeah. thing. Yeah, I yeah. freaking love it. I, I totally admit I'm a sucker for that dog. Since it's around, it's like butt wiggle. Happy to see me makes the whole day better. Like there's nothing better. It jumps into my arms. It's like oh, I missed you. I, yeah. I gave Tannis crap for years about not liking small dogs. I joked around that I didn't like Ziggy. Um, I was walking him about, we were dating about six months. I was walking him in, on a sidewalk with her and this uh, Doberman Shepherd came up and he was coming down the sidewalk and, and the Dobie was super cool, not threatening, not doing anything, not even so much as looking Ziggy's way. And Ziggy just starts snarling at him, teeth out, ready to go. He was protecting his mom. He knew what he was doing. And I think it was for that point that I was like, you know, I was like, that takes balls. That dog is literally 10 times your size, um, you know, plus. And I was like, and he showed zero fear. And I think it was that point on, I started giving him a little bit of respect. And at some point I, I bought a, uh, a, a hoodie for him in a, in a, in a, in a plaid, like a plaid yellow hoodie. And I happened to have a matching hoodie that was the same. And I didn't tell Tannis. And I bought this hoodie. It came in. I snuck into the bedroom. I put my my flannel on. I put his hoodie on. I came out of the corner, and she was just like, "Really?" She was like, "I thought you didn't like little dogs." And I'm like, oh, I don't. No. I like this little dog. Exactly. Yeah. 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 That's, so that's awesome. Yeah. So Ziggy's now Ziggy's now part of my life. So yeah. Yeah, they, they don't know their dogs. That's the thing. So. 
you know, yeah. like the, no, he's a family member. Like, cars and dogs, so we get that. So yep. yeah, cars and yep. dogs. Yeah. There's no good spot for the uh, for the dog in the R8, so we're taking it to the holster shop here. That's an Avant's partner. We're having a little seat made for him to sit in the middle because his favorite. He's, oh, that's he's awesome. a car dog. He loves being in the car. Yeah, he's just like, oh, we're in the yeah. car. Sweet, best day of my life. Ten hours later, still happy to be in the car. Dan doesn't know that the seats for him. The dog gets the right. Best I get the seat between you know, the seats. Fine. You know, in the very room so, yeah. in R8. But, yeah. yeah. So. <laughs> Oh, I have in my center console of my, my LX570, um, on my center console, I have a bed that's strapped down so that where my arm would normally be is a bed yep. for him. And we clip him in and he gets to sit and he can see right above and he sits right in between the two of us. Same thing in my Raptor. We were out there yeah, so. off-roading in the mountains and the dog's just like, cool, this is perfect. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So. Good times. Uh, yeah. I mean, your automotive journey has been amazing, uh, you know, and it's, uh, I, I just... Never looked at a LinkedIn and, and been so jealous of the uh, adventures you've had. Yeah, man, that's <laughs> you've earned everything you've done. Um, well, is there something you'd like to do in the automotive world that you haven't done yet? Just wasn't asking. <laughs> Sorry. Um, you know, it, it. I'm sure there is. I mean, there's a lot of things I know that I haven't done. Um, you know, I, I thought about maybe going back and, and looking at getting into more of a corporate job again, but I don't know if I could ever do that. Um, you know, I've been lucky enough that if you look at, at my career, I've been, my big thing that I look back and I'm most proud of in my career is that I've been lucky enough to be a part of these companies at a pivotal point of their growth. So, you know, when Spiker came you know, on, on the scene, you know, I was there to launch the company, you know, I was there when they, when they launched on the scene. When I transferred to Lamborghini, um, even as an after sales manager, I was there at the Aventador launch. And I stayed there all the way through the end of Huracan when just as Huracan got ready to launch, I had some health issues and I had and, and took a step down. When I got better, I jumped on board with Maserati as the Levante launched um, and was with them through through all of that. And then I would, you know, help John with the F5 launch, uh, was able to go to, you know, Geneva and I was there, I was in Geneva for almost 30 days. You don't realize that, that auto show takes a month to set up. Um, you know, so we, you know, setting up the booth and being there through the, you know, the auto show, which again in itself was 10 days. Uh, so every, you know, and, you know, being with Matt as he launched the second location, you know, you know, helping him with the first location. So I'm lucky enough that in my career, I, I really, I kind of love the idea of, of being able to look back in automotive history and seeing all of these points in, in, in history overall that it gets to say I was there, um, you know, or be part of the growth of some company that's still successful, like curated or like VF engineering or, or some of these guys. And to me, that's, that's kind of what I'm most proud of. And. I just kind of want to continue that, you know, that path. I want to, you know, I, I want to just stay, you know, being part of these things and being a part of the industry and, and being able to look back at my career and be proud of, of, of expanding that. Couldn't say it better. Yeah. yeah. Amazing. So be part of something big. That's a, that's a good feeling to live with. And you were there for those big moments. Yeah. So, so what's uh so launching the new, the new location uh, coming up, when do, do you guys have a timeline of when that's opening? Uh, well, I mean, the, the, the storage portion of it is, okay. is open now. Yeah. I mean, he's taking cars. He's probably about half full already. Um, we're, you know, we're, we're averaging about two new cars a week. And then the other location, they just started breaking ground on in California. It's, it's permits more than anything. Yeah. So here too. He, yeah. We had, we had a, we, we fought for a month to get the permit for the mailbox and I am not even making that up. Um, so it's, uh, it, it's on board to hopefully be completed by the end of first quarter next year. Oh, so TBD, yeah. you know, as everything goes, it's not, it's not too bad, but they're, 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 they're breaking ground on some stuff and they're doing some demolition in this next month or so. And, and it'll, it'll really ramp up and hopefully it doesn't take too, too long, but we'll end up seeing how that works. And then, um, with ID I'm working on, like I'll be next week, I'll be at the F1 race. Um, Puma has a promotion called the car club that they've created that we, we created it at the Miami inaugural F1 race where we were down in the design district and we threw a party on the top of the very famous parking garage in the design district in, in Miami. And if you ever look it up, you'll see it. Cause you'll be like, yeah, I've seen every, every Miami influencer girl takes their pictures up in the design district. The, the floor is painted. It's all art deco crap on the top, but we threw a party. We basically, it was like a nightclub that you had cars inside and you could see, you know, all of Miami from it. It was a really cool idea. Um, then we duplicated it in the UK for one of the races there. And now with the inaugural, um, F1 race in Vegas, uh, they're a worldwide sponsor of F1. They do the Puma Motorsports line for Porsche, Porsche Classic, BMW, Ferrari, uh, 
Mercedes? BMW Mercedes. Yeah, BMW Mercedes. Um, so there, there we, I found a parking garage, uh, which is at the Virgin Hotel. Uh, it overlooks the start finish line uh, when you're at the, when the top of the parking garage for the F1 race. So Thursday night, uh, while they're doing test and tune, uh, there will be uh, there will be a party, fifty to sixty cars, three hundred plus celebrities, all of whom is you know people. They do the endorsements. They're sports people. They're entertainment people, uh, guests and things like that. We're bringing in some some. We're doing a, a rally with some influencers from Mobile One to go from LA to, and arrive at the car show. Guys like the team from BBI and, and stuff like that. And then, um, yeah, so we're going to throw a party and, and do the Puma Park Car Club there. Nice. Tell Tim we said hello. He's a yeah. good friend. <laughs> good dude. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, very cool. Excellent. So, yeah. So, that's that's next. That's next. Well, I mean, we look forward to uh, seeing all the adventures you're having. And we really appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule to, to talk with us for just a little bit. So, yeah. yeah, yeah, of course, man. I love I love all you guys, Jacob and, and, and Chrissy and everybody are amazing. So anything, you know, we, you know, I personally, you know, love what you guys are doing with the magazine and with with everything that you're doing as far as the, you know, the, the culture that you're kind of creating within Avance itself. And so we, you know, I brought uh, Avance in for, you know, kind of host the, the Cars and Coffee for the LA Auto Show that we did last year. And, you know, anytime you guys do one of your specialty shows here in LA, I'm, I'm always there. So Jacob love you guys. kills it down there. We are big fans of him. Yeah. Just great guy. He's, he's a great guy. Yeah. yeah. What do you think? We've never actually so, met him. We've talked to him all the time. We've talked to him all the time. Oh, really? We haven't crossed paths yet. Yeah. Oh, no yeah. kidding. Yeah. Well, come down for one of the trivia nights that you guys do. It'd be, it'd be, it's, it's a, it's a really good time. I try and make to all of them. We need to do that. Like I said, we usually only make it down as far as Monterey every year. But uh, yeah, we're doing what we got. We're going to Portland to meet with that crew next. Yeah, and then that's well, we know Sherry, but we're going to go down there and do a big podcast interview day down there, and then hopefully, hopefully, California will be next. So yeah, cool. Yeah, well, keep me in the loop and let me know. Oh, absolutely. uh, Anything I can do for you guys, let you know. Just. Just reach out, man. I'm happy to help. Sounds great. All right, uh, listeners, if you want to follow uh, Vinny, um, and trust me, if you are a car person at all, a motorcycle person, dog person, mm-hmm. he actually has a fantastic Instagram with just never any feed of great stuff and not just snap random car pics, but just cool shit all around. It's uh, Vinny Russo one on Instagram. Uh, I probably need to post more. I'm, I'm I'm bad at that. I need to post more stuff. You, got, well, you need more of the so, dog. I'll give you that. There's that's enough. True. I mean, I, I know he, he's famous for being inside a, an electric Hummer, but other than that, we need to see more of him. So, yeah. It's just a good variety of stuff, yeah. man. Like, I, I was just perusing today. I was like, man, you, you do cool. You got a good life. Let's put it that way. <laughs> if the Thank pictures are anything. Much. I really appreciate it. Yeah, you, you yeah. got it right. Excellent. Well, for uh, this episode of the Avance Podcast, as always, I'm Nick. I'm Dan, and don't just get there. Enjoy the drive. <laughs>